Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am, the perfect God, the living God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that as we come to you in our brokenness, in our woundedness, in our guilt, that you take us just as we are. We thank you that you are the God of healing, that you are the God of comfort. You are the God that forgives. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you love us and you provide for us and care for us. And this morning, we pray that in light of your greatness, in the light of your love, that you would help us to be more like you, that we would be a people that care, that we would be a people that provide, that we would be a people that forgives and extends grace. So teach us this morning what it looks like to be like you. We thank you so very much. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our loving, gracious Savior. Amen. I have to admit, we worked up that crowd that day. They didn't see it coming. We worked them like clay in our hands. They were cheering. They were chanting. They were jumping up and down. They were a mob by the time we got done with them. They were right in our hands. We got them caught right where we wanted them. And despite what that man said, that crowd did exactly what we wanted them to do. They grabbed the rocks. They threw him outside of the city. And they were ready. They were so prepared that as they grabbed rocks, I stood and held the coats. Because, let's be honest, you can't throw a rock well if you've got a big, heavy coat on. And so I held the coats and just watched as they were consumed by the excitement and the chanting and the cheering that we had worked them into. And one by one, they started throwing those rocks. And they threw a rock and they threw a rock and rock after rock after rock they threw them. But the man receiving the brunt end of that excitement... He said something that I did not expect. He asked God to forgive us. Now in the moment, I was glad to hold the coats and I was excited and I was approving of the throwing of the rocks. In that moment, I thought I was doing exactly what God was calling me to do. But it wasn't until a little bit later that I realized that I was doing the direct opposite of what God wanted me to do. I realized a bit later, it was actually on a road, traveling from one city to the next when God spoke to me. And not just God, but God the Son spoke to me and in that moment changed my entire life. And looking back, I realized the blood of that man is on my hands. 
because I was the one who helped rile the crowd up, and I was the one who held the coats. I was the one who approved of that entire incident. Today we're talking about a man named Paul as we continue our series on Empowered. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's no problem. If you don't have an app, no big deal. We have got Bibles in the back of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. You're going to find 1 Corinthians in what we call the New Testament. It's the the later one-third of the Bible. Uh, You'll find it there along with several other books. So the easiest way to find it is if you can find the four very American-sounding names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, keep going forward from there. You'll go through a book called Acts and then Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. That's where we want you is in 1 Corinthians. If you have no idea where you're at in the Bible, do not feel ashamed. There are 66 books, and it's hard to keep track of those. So take your Bible and open the first few pages to the table of contents and find 1 Corinthians. It's under the New Testament. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be talking about a man named Paul. Now, Paul, as you're turning there, was a pillar of the early church. He was really the first great missionary of the early church. Uh, We had Peter, we had John, and all of the the apostles, and they kind of stayed put for the, the early days of the church. It wasn't until Paul and a guy named Barnabas and some others came along that the church started getting the idea that the gospel, the message of Jesus needed to go out beyond Israel, beyond Jerusalem. And so Paul and a few others are sent uh, to go out and do the work of Christ by spreading the gospel to the Israelites and non-Israelites outside of the country of Israel. And so Paul wrote a lot of our books that we read uh, in the New Testament, many of what we call the epistles. These are letters that Paul wrote to different churches. So for example, we're in 1 Corinthians. There's two books uh, that are named Corinthians, First and Second. But Corinthians is named that because it's a letter that Paul sent to the church that was in the city of Corinth. So he's writing a letter to the Corinthians, the the people, the church in the city of Corinth. And so Paul writes a lot of our New Testament, a lot of what we know about our faith and we know about Jesus comes from Paul and his relationship with Christ and what Christ sent him out to go and do as a missionary for him. And in, this, uh, in his letters, we find a lot of uh, understanding about God, what we call theology. We, under, we find a lot of understanding about ministry and how we're supposed to do ministry. And I thought today would be a great time to look at that idea. How are we supposed to be doing ministry? What is the important aspect of our lives in Christ? What is Paul's emphasis? Because in all reality... Paul's life itself, the way he lived, the willingness he had to go and do what Christ called him to do, that by itself is a great teaching lesson to us as Christ followers, as Jesus followers. So he gives a great synopsis, let's call it that, a great synopsis in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about what ministry should look like. So I want you to look down with me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. And Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, if you grew up in church, if you've been in church a few years, you may have heard this passage. It's a passage that is quoted, that is used often amongst preachers and in Bible teachers. And let me just confess to you right now, let me just call it out. This passage is misinterpreted a lot. This passage is used as justification to do things that we as Christians, we as ministers of the gospel, are not called to do. So let's clarify what this passage actually does tell us to do. So look back down at verse 19. We're going to walk step by step through this short passage and look at what Paul is trying to tell us and what we can learn as modern day Americans about being ministers for the gospel from this passage. So verse 19, let's read it again. It says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. You see, Paul understood what was important. Paul understood that his existence, his purpose on the earth was to lead others to the gospel. And we're going to see this repeated over and over and over in this passage. The point that Paul ultimately is trying to make is that the goal that we have as followers of Jesus is to win other people to the gospel. Guys, we have friends, family, co-workers, acquaintances, etc., who do not know Christ, and they are dead in their sins. And that may sound offensive, and if you're someone who does not have a life-changing relationship with Jesus, that may sound harsh. But the reality is, is that's what the Bible actually tells us, is that in Christ, we spiritually come alive. And so if we have people around us who are dead and heading towards eternal death, why wouldn't we work as hard as we can and focus all of our efforts towards saving those who are lost? Why wouldn't that be our number one goal, our number one priority? That's what Paul is saying here. He is saying, I'm free. I'm not bound by anything. I am a free man. I don't, I'm not owned by anybody. I, I don't owe a debt to anybody. He says, but look at what he says. I've made myself a slave to everyone. He realizes that the gospel is the highest priority. And in so, he also realizes that his freedom 
is not true. His freedom is that he lives in submission to the will of God and he does anything biblically necessary to win people to God, to win people to Jesus. So he understood his mission. He understood what was important. You see, his identity was not found in anything about himself. His identity was not found in his family. His identity was not found in his former faith. Because let's face it, if you know about Paul's life, Paul was in the line to become one of the great Pharisees of his day and time. He studied under one of the most influential religious teachers of his day. He had a great, powerful, influential future ahead of him, and he abandoned it because it wasn't in line with God's mission. It wasn't in line with Jesus. And so we have to understand that he didn't find his identity in his family or his country or his career or his former faith. He found his identity and everything he was in his faith in Jesus. That's what he's saying here. In all his freedom, he realized that he is a slave to everyone because the goal of his life, the purpose of his life, is to lead people to Jesus. So let's see what he continues to say here. Look with me now in verse 20. It says this, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Now stop there for just a second. You see, Paul knows that if he's going to be successful in winning people for Jesus, he's going to have to put himself aside. And what do I mean by that? In Paul's day and time, if you were a Jewish person and a, a Jewish person of great faith like Paul was, your entire identity was wrapped up in your identification as a Jew, as a person who believed in the scriptures and followed God. You had a great inheritance. You, you had all of this wealth of godly direction and knowledge. And as a person like that, your entire being was wrapped up in that. And Paul realizes that despite all of that, in order to bring people to Christ, he has to put all of that identity and put it behind him. And he has to find his identity in what Christ calls him to find identity in in that moment with the person he's with. You see, he realized what was most important. His preferences were not important. His national identity, his patriotism, his religion, none of those things were important or as important as leading people to Christ. So, ultimately, his identity ends up being found in the gospel. His identity is in one thing and one thing only as someone who has been saved by the blood of Jesus. 
And so that's where Paul finds his identity. You see, he had to change his career path. He had to change his core beliefs. He had to change his friends and the circles that he ran around with. He had to change his passions, and he even had to change his dreams and aspirations for his life. I would challenge you that many of us, if not most of us, would find it very difficult if God placed us in a very successful career and a bright future and then suddenly said, I want you to give it all up and I want you to go to this people and do ministry and spread the gospel. That would be a difficult choice for anyone who had a great career with a a promising future. But that's exactly what Paul did. That's exactly the decision that Paul makes. He was willing to strip himself of everything that was not of Jesus. He was willing to strip himself of every identifier that didn't actually belong to Jesus Christ. But what about us? Would we still lead others to Jesus? Would you still lead others to Jesus if you lost everything in this world? Would you still glorify God and lead others to Jesus Christ if you lost your career, if you lost your retirement, if you lost your home or your family? Would you still point people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to the life-changing hope that can only be found in Him? Or would you buckle? I think everyone in here would say, I hope that if I ever have to go through that type of a situation, that I would still lead others to Jesus, that my foundation, that everything I am would be founded in Jesus Christ in that moment. And I pray the same thing for every single one of us. Because let's face it, more than likely, most of us in this room are going to experience some kind of major loss. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a mass amount of money, you know, recession hits and people lose value uh, in their investments, whether it's we lose our health and we're not able to go and do the way we were able to do before. No matter what it is, I hope and pray that no matter what our circumstances, we can always point people to Jesus. And it's something we should all think about and pray about on a regular basis. Let's ask this question. Would Jesus be enough for us In this place, as the body of Christ at First Southern, would Jesus be enough if we removed all the instruments? We're not. FYI, there's no discussion about that. I don't want any rumors going around that we're getting rid of the music ministry. That's not happening. But I want you to think this through. If all of this went away, would you still worship Jesus? Or are you here because of this if there was not a single church in all of scottsdale that offered an amazing music ministry would you still come and sing a cappella worship to your savior let me make a harder question what if and guys please hear me this there's no discussion of this this is not happening but what if Leadership of this church decided that we were getting rid of this style of music and everything went to modern music. Oh! (laughs) Apostasy! Heresy! No, 
The fact is, is you're not here for worship. You're here to lead others to Christ. Yes, we worship, but the style of worship has nothing to do with you. Worship is about honoring Him. It's about the love song that we sing to our Savior. And the style should not matter. So if we got rid of this service style song, this style of music, would you still worship? Ooh, that's a challenging one. It's what I grew up with, Pastor. I don't know any different. I don't want to lose this. I don't either hear me on that. There is no discussion about that. But I want you to think about it. I want you to wrestle in your heart of hearts with Jesus and the Holy Spirit about what you're here in this place for. What are your motivations for sitting in these pews? Is it for the gospel or is it because of your preferences? And if your preferences were eliminated from this church, would you still worship? That's a tough question for all of us. Let me take it a step further. What if we repainted this room to colors that you didn't like? You laugh. I've been in more church debates about the color of the carpet than the theology of the church. Believe me on that. If we changed the physical look of our campus, of the buildings on this, this place that we call First Southern, would you still worship? Or are you here because of the aesthetic? Let's take that one one step further. If this entire campus was bulldozed and there was not a single building standing on this property, would you still find a place to worship as the body of Christ at First Southern? The church is not a building. The church is us. But would you still worship if we lost it all? If we lost everything, would you still worship? Would we, as the body of Christ, still worship? Paul understood that none of these things truly matter. Our music preferences, our beautiful building that we've been blessed with, none of this in the big picture matters if we are not leading people to Jesus. Why are you here? What is your reason for sitting in these pews on Sunday morning? Would you be able to continue to worship? I hope we can say yes, but I think the question is, would we really? If we lost everything, if we changed everything, would we still worship? I think every single one of us needs to wrestle with that in prayer with the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. Pick up in the middle of verse 22. So one sentence in, verse 22, it says this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This is his mission statement. This is Paul's purpose for living it's to share the gospel with everyone around him he exists and he lives and he takes action and every decision and everything he does centers around one mission 
to lead others to Jesus. That's what he says right here. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Everything he does is for the gospel. Every discussion he has has a gospel purpose to it. Every action he takes has a way of pointing to the salvation of Jesus Christ in his life. Everything he does is about Jesus. This is what is important. Leading people to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So here's my statement. Here's that big idea that I want you to remember this week. And it's very simple this week. There's no rhyming. There's no playing with the words. It's just very simple. And it's this. What's important to him is important to us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, then you need to understand what is important to your Savior. And that is what should dictate everything in your life. What he finds important, you find important. It's about understanding what is truly valuable and what is fleeting and is going away. You see, you have no greater importance in your life than living for Jesus and leading others to him. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the son of God, part of the Trinity lived a perfect life, and at the end of his life, he was falsely accused, an innocent man, to death. And he hung on a cross and shed his blood so that his blood could be the sacrificial cleansing for all of our sins. He gave his life for you. He died for you and for me. And then after three days after his death, he he rose from the grave and then he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You see, God didn't do that. Jesus didn't live that and make that sacrifice so that we could keep living in our preferences. He did that so that we could be saved. Don't don't, Don't mishear me on that. He did that so that we could be saved, but that in that salvation, that our life, our identity, our values, everything we are would be caught up in Him. That everything that we find important would be Him and Him alone. That our money would not matter, our career would not matter, our future would not matter. Ultimately, our friends and family wouldn't matter in light of the gospel. That the gospel would reign over everything in our lives. Our preferences are great. We need to have opinions and we need to have preferences. But those preferences should never be more important than Jesus. Those preferences, those opinions should never be more valuable or have more weight than Jesus Christ has in your life. So here's a question. What parts of your identity need to be laid at the feet of Jesus? If we're going to find our important values based on his important values, what of those values need to be sacrificed and laid down in submission at the feet of Jesus? Does your career need to be laid at Jesus' feet? Guys, some of you in this room may be called to missions like Todd and Katie Miller are. 
Todd and Katie, if you don't know who we're talking about, uh, Todd and Katie, Todd was our youth minister here at this church for years and years and years and years, amazing man of God, and then got up and called him to be a missionary in Thailand. Is God calling you to that? And if he is, is the value you place on your career or your future, is that holding you back from that? Are you not willing to sacrifice for it? What else are you, do you need to lay at his feet? Maybe there are some core beliefs that have nothing to do with this book. Maybe traditions or the way you were raised or whatever that may be. And maybe some of those core beliefs that you grew up with need to be laid at Jesus' feet. Maybe your passions or your friends need to be laid at Jesus' feet. I'm very passionate about a lot of things that have nothing to do with this book. And I hope and pray that if God ever called me to give up those passions, that I would do it in an instant. I also pray that he doesn't ask me to do that, but the fact of the matter is, is that I, as a follower of Christ, should be willing to lay those down if he asked me to. Would you be willing to? Maybe the hardest one for this particular group is would you be willing to lay the music If the orchestra disappeared, would you still be okay with this body of Christ? It's about us. It's not about the pews or the color in the room or the beautiful music that we get to worship God by. That's all valuable, and it's wonderful, and we are a blessed body of Christ. But if it went away, would you still worship as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale? What do you need to lay at the hands, at the feet of Jesus in sacrifice for his gospel so that others can come to know him? Will you embrace that purpose? Guys, what are you willing to do to lead people to Jesus? Within biblical boundaries, but what are you willing to do to lead others to Jesus? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. And God, I want to just call it out right now. Thank you, Lord, for this place. Thank you for the blessing of these buildings and this amazing orchestra and this beautiful ministry that we have here. God, thank you so much for how you have blessed us as a body of Christ. Thank you for how you've taken care and provided for us. God, thank you for all that you've done. But God, we pray that if that we would have our value found in you, that what we find important is what you find important. Lord, we pray that if we weren't blessed, that we would still worship you as the body of Christ. Help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of body. That no matter what we see on the outside, no matter what we experience, that we would worship and lead others to Jesus. So help us, Almighty God, as we try to live our lives in that way. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we enter into a time of worship where we get to respond. And maybe you need to pray. If so, we have our altar available to you. Come down here and pray. We would love for that to to happen. Maybe you need to talk with someone. Maybe you've got questions about what it looks like to accept a life-changing relationship with Jesus. 
If you'd like to have that discussion or if you've got questions, uh, myself, Pastor Chad or Pastor Josh, we would love the opportunity to talk to you. You can come and talk to us now or, or come grab us after service. Whatever it is that you need to do in response, I encourage you to do it now. So let's stand and respond.